Hey y'all, this is the Baptist Observer, aka, aka your boy, aka Matt Dixon. I got some things to observe. I want to tell y'all about Saturday night. There were no strikeouts. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about myself because Saturday nights are full of strikeouts when you're with Matt Dixon, aka the Baptist Observer, aka your boy. Now, I'm talking about Rich Hill. I don't know if you guys follow baseball, but Rich Hill is a pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers who just happens to be on my fantasy team, which means that I am emotionally attached to him for the entire summer. The man was scheduled to pitch. He warmed up. I'm sure it is an extensive process, right? You don't just get up and pitch. You have to wake up, stretch, ice the shoulder, you know, take some HGH, uh, throw some pitches, warm up, do some long toss, stretch some more, get a full workout in before the game. The man gets on the mound Saturday night. I'm needing his points, right, in the fantasy league. The man throws two pitches. The man throws two pitches, y'all. Two. He throws an 89-mile-per-hour fastball, gets the ball back from the pitcher, throws another 89-mile-per-hour fastball, then leaves the game, which which I gotta ask, what's going on here? Right, I really have two thoughts. Either number one, he had a blister on his finger that uh, after the second pitch it popped in some way, which led to blister juice being all over the baseball, and there was no possible way he could pitch anymore. That is kind of excusable, you know, because it wasn't popped and it popped. But here's what I think is more likely. That man was like, nah, Mr. Manager. Who's the uh, manager for the Dodgers? He's like, nah, listen, I'm going to put the city on my back, though. I don't care about these blisters on my fingers. I'm going to get out there, and I'm going to throw my 89-mile-per-hour fastball and somehow miss bats, and I'm going to come through for my team because Clayton Kershaw's on the DL. He gets out there. He throws two. His blisters start hurting, and I'm like, hey, I'm actually good. Sorry, fam. I'm out of cheer. He threw two pitches. There were no strikeouts, a.k.a. I got zero points. And speaking of baseball, saw this tweet on Sunday from uh, Pastor Dean and Sarah down in Tallahassee uh, about baseball. He must have been a little low uh, in his attendance. I'm sure this man's rocking like three services. Seems to be a great church. He's got it going on. Uh But it seems like he might have been a little low on the Sunday. I don't know if some key members were out or maybe it was just a noticeable, you know, drop in attendance because uh, the warmer weather, May's coming up, and with May comes travel baseball. And here's what he said. He said, let's think about Christians in Sunday travel ball. It's a baseball emoji, but, you know. So maybe he will be good enough to play varsity ball one day. That's worth missing church almost every Sunday of his childhood. What are you communicating to him and his siblings? He's nine. Seriously. Lord, help us. And he's like, hey, listen, you know, the best case scenario is your kid gets to play two years in JUCO. Right? That's if he's incredible. So he's basically saying, like, is, is really, you know, two years of JUCO baseball worth your son or daughter missing church consistently all throughout their teenage years? And what sort of expectation is that setting up for the rest of their lives? And here's my opinion. I saw the tweet and I was thinking, this is one of the coldest takes you could possibly make.
right? This isn't a hot take. Like everybody on paper in 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 the Christian world should agree that you know local church attendance is more important than travel ball. I know that some people might get upset, but I was not expecting this uh, vitriolic reaction my man Dean and Sarah got. I mean, I got there's there's this one tweet <laughs> uh, from shout out to Elizabeth Foss. She said lots of Sunday travel soccer could find mass almost everywhere at a time when there wasn't a game. Now, between us and between Dean and Sarah, we know that Mass ain't counting, right? Like, like, like Matt, Mass ain't checking off the box for local church attendance. Uh, but that's besides the point. Um, she, then she adds this, U-17 national team, two degrees, bachelor and master's, in four years on a full scholarship at a top university, NCAA championship. I mean, this uh, Mrs. Foss's uh, son or daughter won an NCAA championship and now has a very mature faith. And she said, worked for us, got 19 likes. And then Dean and Sarah very nicely, proud of him for doing this, just said, we have different views on the significance of the local church. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, I like uh, Elizabeth Foss's point that the national championship is proof that the lack of faithful church attendance to a local church is is a okay. Uh, but if the kid was slaw at soccer, like it's like, hey, listen, I'm sorry, Pastor and Sarah. I thought it would be worth it to let my teenage son skip church all throughout his teenage years, but. He got upset in the first round of the NCAA tournament. I mean, if he could have made the championship, all of his unfaithfulness to the local church would have been worth it. But since he got upset by the 12 seed, it was all for nothing and I want to repent. (laughs) That's what Elizabeth Moss is saying. It's literally ridiculous, and there's just so many people in here. Um, it seemed like there was several people, uh, maybe from a Catholic background, uh, but also uh, like people who are like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be worshiping at the Grand Canyon, you know, like I'm actually more in tune with God in the wilderness than I am with church. Those kind of people, are like, why can't I worship uh, at the baseball field? Why do I have to be in a church? And I think the good point is, I don't know if Dean made this in any of these comments, but uh, these people are worshiping at the baseball field. And the reason why they're so upset at Dean is because they got their golden calf pegged by one of Dean and Sarah's fastballs. Speaking of uh, observing the evangelical world, I saw this interesting article from Desiring God. Uh, The article is 12 Tips for Parenting in the Digital Age. I saw it on Twitter. So, of course, I didn't actually read this article because that is not how Twitter works. Uh, I don't know who wrote it, but I would bet my life it was Tony Rinky based on the subject matter. And here was the quote tweet I saw. Uh, it says, the average age for a child getting their first smartphone in the U.S. is now, take a guess, 10 years old. When I first saw this, man, I was shook because I was thinking... You know, this is the average age, which means that there are six-year-olds rocking an iPhone X, taking those super fancy selfies, right? And they have the most powerful, advanced technology our culture's basically ever seen, at least starting like 20 years ago. 
And it kind of makes me think of when I was in middle school, the, the phone I always wanted was the Razor. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The Motorola Razor? I mean, this thing was dope. It was like super skinny and... Uh, I don't know, man. It just looked dope. That was basically it. It was razor thin, and I wanted one so bad. It was like, it was like the phone, uh, you know, kind of like in middle school, uh, starting in high school. And I remember my one of my friends said, "Listen, man, you don't deserve one of those razor phones. Those are so technologically advanced, you wouldn't even know how to work it." And I mean, that cut me deep, y'all, because I was like, "Man, I want this phone, but I can't even. I couldn't even understand it." I couldn't even begin to work the Motorola Razor. And now you're telling me that six-year-olds have iPhone Xs? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what are they doing with those things? Like, do they understand them? Like, is, is this just, like, so ingrained in our culture that a six-year-old, you know, has the mental capacity to work something like that when, when I was six years old that would, like, completely blow up my world? But you know what, honestly, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I wasn't posting on social media. It's embarrassing as as it is what I've got up there. But really, I was thinking, you know, I think I got my first phone, my first cell phone in sixth grade, maybe seventh grade. I remember it was a, it was a flip phone, LG, and it, it, uh, it, it like was smaller than my hand, basically, which my new phone isn't. And I remember it had a mirror on it. Like when it flipped down, there was a mirror, like a little tiny, like thumb-sized mirror that I would like check and see if there was boogers or anything. I mean, I thought that was the coolest thing. I had a mirror on my phone. And little did I know that, you know, in a few years that, you know, there'd be these things called front-facing cameras that would completely change my life. And uh, that probably isn't an exaggeration. But I remember, you know, I didn't get my first smartphone until after high school. Uh, when my first job, when I got my first job out of high school, I was working, I bought an iPhone 4. And I felt like the stuff, like that was a dope feeling to have internet on my phone. In high school, I was rocking a Blackberry, but it wasn't connected to the internet. It was just like, I liked the keyboard and the little rollerball. There was no internet on that thing, but I just thought I was the stuff. I thought that was really cool because it, uh, it looked like... It kind of gave the vibe like it was a smartphone. But then I actually got one, and you could, like, look things up and read articles and get on Twitter and post pictures. It was just, like, dope. Uh, but now these kids are getting that at six, um, sixth grade. You know, they're, I mean, six years old, not even sixth grade. They're getting six years old, seven, eight, nine, ten. And so I'm just thinking, what are these kids going to be buying rock when they get out of high school? And am I even going to have the capacity uh, to understand that sort of technology since I can't even run or operate a Motorola Razor. Alright guys, kind of switching gears. I got to bring this up. I saw this tweet on Sunday. Another tweet on Sunday. Uh, right after church uh, about 2 o'clock from a man, Robbie Gallaty. Alright, so this is what he said. This was a first today. I've had people amen, clap, shout, and stand when I was preaching. I've never heard someone blow a shofar horn in the service until today. Caught me off guard at first. All right. Let's settle down on this for a second. This dude blew a shofar horn in the service. Y'all know what a shofar horn sounds like? It sounds like this. 
Alright, so what I'm playing here is a video entitled 12 Minutes of Non-Stop Shofar. Alright, so here's my two theories about this, guys. Number, my number one theory is this has to be planned, right? There's no way uh, that Robbie Gowdy didn't know about this. So this had to be a sermon where this was fitting in uh, and Robbie asked for somebody to start blowing in the middle of the service for like some sort of effect. Because the alternative, there's just no way that this guy, this Busco, thought, you know what I'm going to do this Sunday is I'm going to sneak a shofar horn in my pants and then hide it under my chair during the music and then right when Pastor Robbie's preaching, I'm going to pull it out, blow it in the middle of his sermon, and people are going to love it. I mean, this is... This is Longhorn Baptist Church. This is Long Hollow Baptist Church we're talking about here, right? This is like rich, fancy, live streaming. They're probably on TV or something. And you're telling me Random Busco pulls out a shofar horn um, and starts calling the Israelite army to battle and Robbie Gowdy is all about it. So much so that he finds him after the service. It takes a picture with him. This seems like the security team at Long Hollow Baptist Church would be like all over this guy for sneaking a shofar horn into the service. So listen, I'm sure it was a moment. I'm sure people really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, Matthew Hall said his Southern Baptist preaching credentials are complete, but there is no way uh, that Robbie didn't know that was happening. Um, if he didn't... Uh, I'm impressed by the boldness of this man to sneak a shofar horn into Long Hollow Baptist Church. Hey, so now I want to observe one more thing. I want to observe uh, the movie world. You know, because a big deal's coming out this weekend, the Solo movie. Uh, I'm a big Star Wars fan, to preface everything. Just to tell you, I, I really like Star Wars. Big fan of the originals. You know, in, growing up, the prequels were a big deal. Uh, I've really liked the new movies. I think they've all been great. But there's been one thing that's really been just grinding my gears. And once I noticed it, I can't stop thinking about it. And it's killing me. The robots, man. The, they've been pushing these ro They've been shoving these robots down my throat. The robots. You know, in the originals, you had C-3PO and R2-D2. And that was, like, great. You know, and, and those are beloved characters. And even in the new ones... When BB-8 came on the scene, I was a fan, right? Like, I thought that is a really cute robot. Now, that sounds weird to say, but y'all know what I mean. I mean, everybody loved the thumbs up with the thing, and, you, you know, the, the squeaks were on, and it was it was a cool robot. But then we turn on Rogue One, and you have that tall, Cole Tomlin-looking, sarcastic robot. And then in The Last Jedi, they have an evil robot going against BB-8. And now in this one, I see another robot. And I know this is just the Disneyification of the Star Wars series. They've got to have a new robot to uh, sell to the kids. And it's like, hey, there's a new robot. And I bet you're going to love its personality. And I'm like, listen, stop pushing the robots. Can't you come up with a, another form of a Chewbacca-esque character or maybe a human being? Does it always have to be this kitschy, gimmicky robot with an interesting personality? And listen, I know for a fact I'm going to enjoy that robot. I, that's the point. I'm going to enjoy it. I don't want to enjoy robots every single Star Wars movie. Uh, but listen, I'm on the fence about it. I heard they did a lot of reshoots or whatever. Uh, it's weird. 
having somebody else be Han Solo. I think it'll be a smaller story. You know, most of these Star Wars movies are these grand scales, so I think this is just going to be like a... I, what I've heard is it's kind of just going to be a Western kind of thing, like a heist movie or something. It's just... I just don't know if it's going to feel right without Harrison Ford. You know, uh, Donald Glover's going to be great, I'm sure. I've been seeing a little too much of him lately, but I'm sure he'll be fine. But with the reshoots and, like, I feel like I haven't heard much of it until just recently. I have my doubts about Han Solo. Anyway, so just one more thing before we go. Uh, My last... Last, last, last thing. Um, I saw this retweet from Jake Tapper, who I think is interesting uh, because he seems like a likable guy in a culture right now where nobody's likable. Uh, I'm sure I disagree with him politically on like every single point. I'm not sure, but he seems like a likable guy. I follow him on Twitter. I don't know what he believes at all. But he retweeted this article that says, Why History is Good for You. By for Fernande Rain. I didn't read it, of course, because... That's not how Twitter works. Uh, but here, here's the here's the quote of the tweet um, from Bruce Melman that Jake Tapper retweeted. It says, while history majors are only 2% of college graduates, they constitute 38% of Supreme Court justices, 25% of presidents since World War II, and 6% of CEOs of Fortune 100 companies, which led me to think, like, this has to be the biggest boomer bust college major in America today. Right, this is a Aaron Judge major. You're either hitting a home run or you're striking out. Because when I think of history teachers, the top, top, top thing I think of their potential is high school teacher of history, or they're working at Cheddar's. Right, those are the two options. It's either it's either you're you're teaching middle school history or you're at Walgreens. But actually, I found out you're either a high school teacher or you are a Supreme Court justice. You are a president or you are a CEO of a Fortune 100 company. So listen, uh, if you're trying to sign a major and you either like, I don't know if I want to be a Supreme Court justice or if I want to host at Cheddar's, history's the way to go. It is either a home run or a strikeout. And based on how it went for Rich Hill on Saturday, there ain't going to be no striking out. Baptist Observer, out. This is my podcast outro song.